Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an SB Nation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, joined tonight by PD. What's going on, PD? Hey, Will. And Elaine Shercliffe. What's up, Elaine? Hey, Will. How's it going? It's it's going. It feels like fall, and it feels like the hockey season should be starting, not ending. But what about you guys? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that makes me sad. It makes me sad. Yeah, I'm wearing my hoodie. I, I feel like preseason's around the corner. Instead, we got the Stanley Cup final and a whole bunch of stuff going on in the NHL. But speaking of the NHL, so I wanted to start off with Bill Zito. He is, of course, the new general manager for the Florida Panthers. So Bill Zito is incorporating the value sheet, which is something that he's bringing along from Columbus. Basically, it's a 100% rule. Basically, are, are you giving your 100% every single day? Uh, it's something that, of course, the leaders, Felino and co., the, the, the management came up with in Columbus, and something that he's going to be bringing down to Florida. So I wanted to start with that. Elaine, what were your thoughts on that? You know Zito pretty well from Cleveland, right? Kind of. I mean, like, not super well, but well enough. I think that the value sheet is very um, important and valuable, uh, to a team, but everyone has to be kind of on the same page and you have to agree with the values, but they also have to fit into what your skill set is as well. So if you go into there and you say like our, our like value is to win, well, you have to like expand upon it and explain why your value is winning and like how you're going to get there to win. I know that the monsters, I don't know exactly what was on their value sheet when he was around um, those three seasons, but uh, it was, it was made clear to me that though everyone was on the same page and the leadership crew asked other members of the team, what they felt like their 100% was. And so not only did they have the value sheet, they also had like everyone owned their own individual value as well. So I'm not quite sure how it went with the jackets, but I find it very valuable. What about you, PD? Yeah, so I I was when I saw that blurb, I was you know glad to hear that the jackets had something like that. I think um, for any team or business or charity organization, any, anything like that, it's very important that uh, everyone involved be in alignment, and you know especially for a sports team, management 
ownership, coaching, players, everyone needs to be on the same page. Everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction. They need to understand what the identity of the team is. Uh, and yeah, as you said, Lane, it's not just to say, oh, hey, we want to win. Like, how, what steps do you want to take to get to that? You know, you know, what kind of players are you bringing in? You know, do the players have the same values? Because that affects, you know, will they get along in the locker room together? Because if you have players that don't like each other, that can cause problems, you know. But if everyone, you don't have to be best friends, but if, as long as they get along or compatible, that can help. And then, you know, yeah, are you bringing in players that, that fit together on the ice? And do you have coaches that are running a scheme that maximizes the talent of the players you have? Are you getting players that fit the coaches? That sort of thing. I think when when John Davidson came in, you know, a big part of what he brought to the team was he helped sort of codify this identity. Like, this is what Blue Jackets hockey is going to be. And now some of it fit the players that did have when he came in. And then they kept adding players that also fit that that identity. And so I think we all have a clear idea of what Blue Jackets hockey is and what a Blue Jacket player looks like. John Tortorella, when he came in, he he still fit a lot of stuff that Todd Richards was doing. He was just kind of a different voice for it. And I think in terms of, you know, making sure that the value sheet is followed, you know, I think Torts is was better than Richards at holding players accountable. You know, and and here, this is these are values that you have to adhere to them, and this is what's going to happen if you don't do that. So, and hopefully, you know, it'll be interesting to see how how things change going forward. But Davidson's not there, Zito's not there. You know, some some staffers are, are going to Florida with Zito. I'm sure some players, uh, especially from the Monsters, might follow him. You know, will the values change? You know, and as the core of the team develops, and some guys you know, go away. Absolutely. You know, Jack Johnson's left, Jabinski, his playing career's done, you know, Felino's coming up to the end of his contract. So when it's, you know, Jones and Dubois is maybe the core guys, does that change things at all? You know, and if Tortorella moves on in a year or so, how does that change the values? Yeah. And, and there's room for right. change, but, but again, everyone still has to be on the same page, you know, his ownership and management, are they okay? Right with coaching and the roster changing. And because if you change too rapidly, if not everyone's on the same page, that's some things can fall apart. Yeah. Like I think something that's very important too is even though you might have the same leadership crew from year to year, it's still something that needs to be discussed at the beginning of the year because people change missing like different parts come in different owner, like different GMs come around so every year, I think it's something that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we saw on the team with, with um, you know, in 2018-19 that I would say that the, the Russians were not necessarily aligned with the rest of the team because obviously those guys both had an eye towards the future and knew that that was not going to be in Columbus. And for the players that were invested in being in Columbus, you know, that rubbed them the wrong way. And so I think that was a constant conflict that – limited the team's ability to have success that season until, you know, that, that in now famous meeting in, in Vancouver, they're on the road trip in March, things are going poorly. They had a team dinner and they really hashed things out. And I think that was a matter of them figuring out a short-term values. Okay. Okay. We're here now. We're in this position. We've got, you know, a couple weeks left in the season. 
can we get on the same page? And they did, and, and they had success from it. But so that's why, yeah, like you said, Lane, circumstances change. There, they had new players at the deadline. They got to figure out, okay, how can we get on the same page and agree to the same values for whatever period of time, whether it's two weeks, two years, whatever. Yeah, this uh, this kind of this topic kind of brings to mind the human element, I guess, because you know you talk about players and everybody kind of buying in, being on the same page. I, I think that outside of what you just mentioned with the uh, some of the conflict maybe in the past, I feel like Columbus is at least. It seems like they've uh, had good chemistry. I feel like there hasn't really been any. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's certain players that don't like each other, and we'll just never know because they just kept that behind closed doors pretty well. But it seems like everybody was pretty friendly, or really seems to get along. You see it even on interaction on Twitter, or just when they're, you know, doing events, goofing around, whatever. They seem to be a very happy bunch, so to speak. Kind of. It makes me wonder. When, when Zito is in Florida and going forward, this is kind of Zito's first real shot at being an NHL GM, obviously. So I'm curious to see kind of how he does and how his philosophies translate, bringing some stuff from Columbus. And I'm curious to see how it, you know, how this wrinkle affects Columbus and Cleveland. Yeah. Um, a good thing to kind of point out, too, is that you mentioned chemistry. A good set of goals or a value sheet is can make up for the lack of chemistry. So it takes into account if the if people aren't clicking, um, it takes into account how to make that work, you know. So like say one of your values or goals is to like have us, you know, work as a team the whole game. So that means like how are you going to be able to make that effective? And obviously that's like team chemistry. That's just like a small example. Or, or an example that comes to mind is the Red Wings teams of the 90s when they brought in, you know, those five Russians and obviously, that you know, there's, you're going to get some culture shock there. Right. Um, and so, one thing that that Stan Bowman did that was so good is that he, you know, he put those five Russians on the ice together because and he's like, I'm not even going to try to coach them. They did these great things with the Russian national team. Yeah. Like, you guys go over the boards, do your thing, play your style of hockey, and then you know, everyone else on the team did the style that he wanted, and. And it worked, right. <laughs> you know, but that was the case where, yeah, they're not right. going to be best friends immediately with everyone. They're not going to be playing the same kind of hockey with everyone. Now, some of those guys came, were playing on other teams before they got to Detroit and had trouble adjusting to the American, the North American style of play. But there, if you can, okay, you guys do your thing and the rest of the team does this thing and they found a way to make it work. So they were being different fit the way that they wanted to be aligned. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a wonderful example. The next thing that was interesting was, of course, everybody knows Jesse Pugliarvi. So obviously everybody knows by now that the Jackets did not take him. It took Pierre-Luc Dubois. But what was kind of interesting was there was a report, Elliot Friedman was one that thought or put out there that Columbus could be a team that has interest in Pugliarvi going forward. So I was looking at his stats, and it just kind of screams Columbus. Now, he did play in Finland last year, and he actually had a 53-point season, but obviously hasn't quite been the guy that most thought upon being drafted. And of course, he played a lot of his, or the first few years of his NHL career in Edmonton. And that is, at least right now, where he's expected to still be back. PD. Can you imagine if the Jackets were interested or actually brought him in? What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I thought this was a very interesting rumor, and I've been kicking this around in my head. 
Um, so he, his situation is that he is still a restricted free agent. So the Oilers hold his rights, but he's not under contract with them. And obviously they would be open to trading his rights to some NHL team that would be interested in signing him. And uh, I think as a reclamation project, he's fascinating. Um, you know, there was obviously a lot of, uh, you know, the league was kind of startled when the Jackets took Dubois instead of him because they thought, oh, here, this, there's this Finnish player. He's, I've considered, you know, the consensus number three player. The Jackets have this Finnish GM and a Finnish director of scouting. Bile Siren stepped up to the stage to make the announcement. And then he says this Canadian kid's name and no one expected it. But here, four years later, it's obvious that the Jackets made the right choice. Dubois has become a star player for them. And Puliyarvi has, uh, has struggled at the NHL level. And he, you know, he bounced back and forth between the NHL and the AHL when he was here. He was obviously frustrated with, with Edmonton and decided to come back, go back to Finland this past season. But I think we can get him for a, a low price. He's worth kicking the tires on. So I'm thinking mid-round pick. Uh, we don't have a second or third, but uh, you know, maybe our fourth fourth or fifth or, or combine some picks uh, because, you know, I don't think he's any more risky than a prospect who would take with those picks. You know, and his, his numbers in Finland were good. It's obviously, you know, not a, not an elite league by any means, but the fact that he was a nearly point per game player there, uh, I think is encouraging and is something we can build from. And his numbers there were better than his last season over there when he was, you know, his pre-draft season. And I was also thinking of a, a presentation at CBJ Hack back in February. This college student, Katarina Wu, had built a model for comparing players in different leagues. You So, you know, get adjust for the level of talent in every league and the player's position and their usage and things like that to figure out how they would do in a different league or comparing them to a different player. And because she was in Columbus, she gave the example of Dubois versus Pugliarvi. And she, using her model, she found that, that actually Dubois' pre-draft season was better than Pugliarvi's. You know, so Dubois was playing in Canadian juniors. Pugliarvi was playing in the top Finnish league. So even though Pugliarvi got all the hype, that, yeah, actually translate the numbers and what Dubois did was better. But Pugliarvi's stats this season showed a big improvement, which shouldn't be surprising because you're talking about a you know an 18-year-old versus a 22-year-old. But maybe he's a late bloomer. And I think there are some players that take a little bit more time to get to their peak level. Uh, look at someone like Artemi Panarin. You know, as an 18-year-old, he, he didn't get drafted. You know, it was only a few years later that he fully bloomed into the player that he was, you know, came over at what, 20, age 24 to the NHL. It was instantly a great player. So maybe that's the case with Pooley Arby. Like it was, did not serve him well to come over to the NHL so early. Maybe he should have spent a few more years in Finland, which is hard to do when you take a player at number four, you, you want them right away, but that may have not been best for them. It sounds like during his time in Edmonton, that there was maybe some maturity issues uh, that he, I think I read that he didn't, uh, his mastery of English didn't come quick enough and that was an issue. So maybe now he's just, he's more prepared to come back to the NHL. It also reminds me of Mikhail Grigorenko, who the Jackets have signed, who was a first round pick, flamed out with the Sabres and then the Avalanche, went back to the KHL, has blossomed there. Now he's coming back for another shot at the NHL. So maybe he's another one who was not ready then, 
but is ready now. So if we could, you know, sign Puljujarvi for a similar contract to what we signed Grigorenko, and if it doesn't cost us too much to get his rights from Edmonton, uh, it could be really interesting. Uh, you know, I don't think that he's ever going to live up to the ceiling of being the number four overall pick, but could he be a useful NHL player? I think so, because obviously there was something that the scouts saw to, to give him the hype. He just didn't have the other skills to make it in the NHL, but he had something that they saw. And I think he probably still has it and could still make an impact. One thing is when the Jackets picked PLD over him, I know everyone was upset, but I was like, oh, yeah, it's like PLD. He's going to I feel like he was someone who was going to grow into his game because he hadn't quite he had grown a little bit physically. But I feel like there was so much more for him to grow into. And he already knew how to use his body at a young age. So that means his whole life, as he was growing, he learned how to constantly adapt to that. But it, it should have been a sign to everyone that maybe Poyarvi. It's pretty telling when your Finnish GM, who has eyes all over Finland, and the scout, who has eyes all over Finland, and they know all the coaches and all the GMs, and like Yarmo worked with a lot of coaches and worked with a lot of players, so you know he had the best intel out of anyone. It's very telling that he did not draft him and opted for Pierre-Luc Dubois. The other thing is the Finnish league is a really good league. I know people uh, don't think it's like the best, but it is, it is elite. It's a very elite league. And a lot of, but like a lot of players are staying over there now because Timus, like it's gotten better as it was really good in like the 90s, early 2000s. It kind of tapered because everyone came over to North America because Team Mussolini. They were all like, oh, we want to have a chance to play with him, play against him, learn from him, play in his system. And then he goes back over and he opens up his his like school and has like this fig- It's like shaped like a figure eight. <laughs> it's actually kind of cool. And so now people are staying more so we're actually not going to see as much talent as we think coming out of Finland now just because the the opportunity to grow and learn from a team from team Salani is there um so it's a lot better now I totally get what you're saying like in the past it, it was not on especially around the time when PLD was drafted it was not even really on par with the NHL it was where a lot of AHL bubble players went in that present in that presentation there was a chart that showed because you could use this model to then compare leagues to each other. And so below the NHL was the AHL, then the KHL, then the SHL in Sweden. And then Liga was about on the same level as the Swiss and German leagues. So, but close to it, but that was kind of the pecking order. So it is, it's a, so it is not the best league in Europe and doesn't have the best players, but it has very good players, obviously. And I, you know, I think right. you could tell more from a player in that league than in, the Quebec league, you know, when you're playing against teenagers. So, and that's, which is why, which is why, you know, right. why they sent Texier yeah, to play that's, in that's Finland so true. for a couple of years or, and, you know, Daniil Tarasov was there this past year. So yeah, th- there's value to playing in that league and you can learn from what a player is doing in that league. Yeah. And then another thing that you did mention was language and that is super important and that it shows a lot about GM coaching players on the team everything. I have heard of, so like Jake Newton went over to, uh, he was a former monster. He went over to 
uh, Finland and played. He also played in a few other countries and he had the gift of learning languages. It was very easy for him. He learned like multiple phrases from German to Finnish to Swedish. Like he just was like having random conversations with people who were willing to teach him. In the same token though, the team that he was on talked to him. They, they tried to learn what they could English wise. And if they couldn't, they worked things out, you know, either through like a Google app or something. Now on the flip side, Miles Coolis went over and played in Finland and he was on a team that refused to speak English. Refused. And he was only there for a short time, but I don't know if he, I don't know if he's ever learned another language or maybe he just knows like the typical like French or Spanish, but like when you're in Finland, it, it Finnish or German is very helpful. And so it, it made him, he could have excelled more over there, but I think it was hard for him to learn certain things because he didn't know the language at all. And you, so then you can't read your teammates as well. So like in Edmonton, I wonder, like, are they willing to meet a player where they're at? Are they willing to find a way to meet with that player? Because if you are unwilling to find a way to speak to them or meet them halfway or even get them a class to teach them English, you know, not everyone is is able to learn a second language. Not everyone knows the English language well enough. It, expecting people to learn the English language when they already know one complex language. And then I start learning more about the AHL players in um, like Switzerland who know French, Finnish, and German, and like uh, all these languages. And then they come over here and people are like, speak English. And it's like, well, maybe you could find someone that learn that knows one of their four languages. So, it, yeah. well, like, yeah. like for example, I think that you know Texier still has some um, insecurities about his English skills, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous because he's, because I feel like he he's speaks so it very well. good at it. But I think it, yeah, being on the team this year, having David Savard and Pierre Luc Dubois as francophones. Yes had to make that so so much easier for him to have someone that he could rely on that he could speak his own tongue with. And exactly. so I th- and I, I think and so I was too. thinking about, you know, Puyarvi coming over and you know, how mature were each of us when we were 18 years old and like going off to college? I was very mature. Yeah. I was very mature. And, was- and so but imagine, you know, <laughs> you're going off to college at 18, but then you're going to another country to do it. And then you're all, there's also the expectations that people have. You're, you're under a microscope while you're there as you're still figuring out who you are. You're still trying to right. learn the culture, learn the language, do your job. Uh, Expecting to talk to the media, like so, all of that. So much pressure. And it's not surprising that some people you know, can't, are, aren't equipped to handle that. You know, And yeah, it requires a lot of support from the team. And unfortunately, not every organization is, you know, is up to that task. Exactly. Now, if Yarmo felt like he could work with him now that they've seen him over there, if he if he felt like I trust Yarmo on this one because he does have such an in in Finland. Anytime Yarmo says someone from Finland is good, I'm like, okay, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to doubt you. <laughs> so that depends on that. Well, it, it, and interesting, one of uh, his teammates this year, Carpet, uh, was uh, Yusi Jokinen. Oh yeah, another, that's another right. former jacket. One time jacket, so oh. <laughs> like half a season jacket. Right. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So, Elaine... You have the Twitter feature, right? You are the Twitter guru of the canon. So what do you got for us, Elaine? Okay, so I thought it would be fun and also low-key for me so I didn't have to constantly respond to people (laughs) to do do some polls um, involving our player reviews. By the way, this is at CBJ Cannon. Please follow us on Twitter if you're not doing so already. And if you're not following us, I'm really not sure why, but you need to get on You're, it. you're missing out if you're not following us. <laughs> you're missing out on all the gifs, gifs, whatever we want to call them. Um, <laughs> so I thought some of the tweets, and some of them um, are not polls, uh, but they had really interesting responses to them. So I wanted to talk about them. But first, I wanted to say the, the tweet and the choices for the poll and ask you guys what you guys thought, and then tell you what the result is, if, if you guys are cool with that. Yeah. Okay, so the first one is the best nickname for Jonas Corpusalo. The choices were Corpusalid, Magicorp, and Corpusavo. A. Yeah, I, I gotta agree with Corpusalid. That's. <laughs> uh, I think I, I, I think good. it's a really good description too of him. He's like he's not gonna be the best ever, but he's solid. You know, he's Corpusalid. Right. It's reliable. <laughs> I totally agree yeah. with that. And. <laughs> And so do 53.6% of our fan base. (laughs) So that's good. I think we have a lot of like Pokemon fans (laughs) because people often send GIFs, GIFs of Pokemon. So I'm assuming that those people were the ones that voted for Magikorp. (laughs) And then I had asked a question about who are your top five untradeables. Um, if you can think of them off the top of your head, what would you guys think? Yeah, so I, I wrote an article about that a few weeks ago, obviously. So uh, the ones that were – the three that I listed that I considered untouchable were Dubois, Jones, and Wierenski. And then I had a another group after that that I didn't consider untouchable, but I was you know loath to move. So I got to throw in my guy Bjorkstrand. So got got to make the pick there. And then I'll say Merzlikens, let's say. I, I said, you know, keep one of those two goalies, but so I'll take Merzlikens then. How about you, Will? 
Yeah, so obviously the first three are Jones, Z, and PLD. Um, I'm trying to think of the team right now. I think I think PD would be right in terms like I wouldn't say in my mind like I wouldn't be in a I would not be in a hurry to trade Bjorkstrand considering the way he seems to be really starting to evolve. But uh, so I will include him in this this list and then. And then, like, Texier or Foodie, maybe? One of those yeah, guys? Yeah, that's true, you, that's you true. Know, put either I, of them on your list? I'll say Texier. I'll, I mean, I, Foodie probably could be, too, but for now, I'll just say Texier. So I'll say Jones, Z, PLD, Texier, and Bjorkstrand. Yeah, for me, it's anyone that has a no-trade clause is unmovable. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're taking that question way too literally. Um, but there is a really great answer by, um, his name is Kurt Diekman. He's one of our followers. It's at Blue Jacks, B-L-O-O-J-A-X. He, it was actually really cute. I loved it. He said, Seth Jones, Zach Rowenski, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Bobby Mack, Shelly Hawk. And then he was like, also Bill Davidge. He's on the outside looking in only because he's retired and not because he doesn't deserve a permanent home here as well. He's the absolute best. Aw, that's sweet. 100% true. I would, if I could trade to have him back, (laughs) I would, I mean, I love, I love who we have for the team, covering the team, but Bill Davidge is a true gem. Um, And then we did the Gavrikov uh, player review, and I had to know who does everyone think Gabby's calling on his phone whenever he scores a goal or assists one. Uh, I would say his agent <laughs> to uh, put, put put another zero on the uh, contract offer. He uh, he calls me because I got a call from Russia the other day. No, seriously though, um, yeah, I had a weird spam call from Russia, but uh, the agent's a good one. <laughs> I don't have a better answer than that. If it's not me, then it's uh, the so, agent. Uh, uh, Elaine, how many people said Ghostbusters? Uh, no one. Let me tell you. No! Okay, oh, I'm disappointed. First of all, I was, I was so sad because the amount of people that said he's calling the golf course for a tea time. And I know Ooh. the timing of when we dropped the article and when we got booted was very close. But my soul hurt. It was like six in a row that was like, for a tea time, calling like heritage. And I was like, please, guys, stop. I can't take this. <laughs> this is awful. Um, I had said that he's obviously not calling Drake. <laughs> and then I put up the gif of like of Drake saying he used to call me on my cell phone. <laughs> I don't know. I was really proud of that. Yeah. And then I asked about Ryan Murray because that's always a hot button issue with everyone. So I asked, do you think it's worth hanging on to Ryan Murray, even if he can only play minimal games a year? And the options were yes, no, and if necessary, trade him. I like Murray. I think he's a good guy, and he can play really well when he's healthy. But I'm just so tired of And it's not even his fault, but it's just so tiring. It's just like... I don't know. I I don't know. I, I mean, again, every year it's the same thing. So I would uh, – he's got a year left on his deal, right? So, I mean, you, I mean, who's going to trade for – I mean, you're not going to probably get much for him in a trade, if anything, but I don't know. I, I Yeah, I would probably keep him, but, I mean, it's just the same thing with the injuries. Yeah, I think if we could go on like a year-to-year basis and at a lower cap, cap hit, as long as we go in there understanding like – all right, he's only going to be available for like 50 games a year. But we know that's the expectation. Like, I think there's value to having him for that time. 
you know, because of how good he is when he is healthy. But it would just have to be at a at a smaller commitment than what we currently have. Right. Like if we could get him on that Trevor Bauer. Yeah, exactly. Deal, I, was, right? I was just thinking that. I was just thinking Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes, if we could get him on that deal. Because I think some of the younger guys also learn from him because they have a lot of respect for him, even though they don't, some of them don't play with him a lot. Um, so that leads me to believe that he's a big presence in practice or in the locker room um, off the ice explaining the game to them. So and, and and he'd be playing on on the third pair, so you can you know someone else right. that you're trying to work into the lineup have him paired with Murray on the third pair, getting third pair exactly. minutes in deployment, and yeah, that's a great luxury to have. Yeah, so forty nine point three percent of people um, said that if necessary, trade him, which I feel like a lot of us are kind of on that same. Sounds page. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have two more. <laughs> Sorry, uh, this one is about our boy Scott Harrington. <laughs> And I said, uh, where would you like to see Scott Harrington next season? CBJ, other team, or by Felicia? I think I said by Felicia, but I can't remember. <laughs> I feel like I did. Uh, yeah, I would vote uh, press box. <laughs> just the press box? Does it matter what team he's on? Just solely in the press <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, like, he's a nice guy if you want to keep him around for, for practice and because the teammate, teammates like him. Yeah, just, you know. Don't 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 play him if you don't have <laughs> Murray yeah. insurance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he plays the games when Murray's yeah. hurt or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So it's a twofer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's a good guy, I guess. I mean, I've never heard of. Th- I mean, the only the only thing I've heard is like when we say, "Oh, Harrington's in the lineup," <laughs> right. but other than that, he seems like a good I, guy. I haven't. I mean, I don't watch the Blue Jackets games the way I watch the Monsters games. Like, I watch the Jackets games and that's it. I don't watch them three times like I do the Monsters games. I don't dive into it that way so I don't see um as I don't I don't know as much about Scott Harrington but I feel like he's not as bad as everyone says he is but also I'm not like full on analyzing the game for all the games of the season so I could obviously be wrong it's not my forte with him because watching it on tv we don't see him as much because he's usually on the third pairing and that usually gets neglected on television. Yeah, his his best games are where you don't notice him, but there are times that you do notice him, and it's like, oh god, what is Harrington doing? <laughs> so where are you going? It's, it's rarely like, oh wow, look at what Harrington just did. That's great. It's more like, oh oh god, oh, why, why are they saying Harrington's name? That's not a good right. Thing. <laughs> why is the fuck over there now? <laughs> yeah, like exactly. That. So it was actually. <laughs> almost even on Twitter. Um, there was only 221 votes. So that's probably why like it, there's, it was 33% for CBJ, 33.5% for other team and by Felicia. So I guess if you're <laughs> actually looking at it, it's <laughs> 67% for being not at CBJ. <laughs> but it was interesting. There was a lot of comments. There was a lot of argument in our comment like in the thread about how he's a sol- some people believe that he is very solid as a sixth or seventh d-man and that a team needs one of those to be able to succeed in a sense uh that he is more consistent than inconsistent you know what you're going to get from him for the most part they were saying so i thought that was interesting that the fans are actually there are fans who are bringing up actual like facts for why they like him, not just, oh, gee, we just love him, or, like, he's a hottie, or, like, he, like, all sorts of reasons. I'm like, 
it, it was about on ice play. And so I, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting because our slack is pretty much like every time he plays, it's like a dumpster fire <laughs> <laughs> comments from us. He's useful as, as a spare guy because you can put him That's in the true. press box and it's not hurting his development because he's at his, he's at his ceiling. Whereas you don't want to have like Andrew Peak scratch right. when you can be like in Cleveland instead. So if Harrington's that guy that you could, but you know, but that's. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Peak should have played over Harrington. During yeah. The, the one game Harrington sure. got in. Yeah. There was no excuse for putting him over Peak. Yeah. But who knows? It could be, con- it could be a contract thing. <laughs> I know sometimes, I know sometimes coaches and GMs don't like to say that they sometimes play to a contract, but sometimes like you got to wonder. <laughs> Seriously, I was listening to I was listening to um, what is it called? Where's my stick? I think it's what it is. It's a podcast. It's an all women's podcast about Pittsburgh, and they talk about all hockey. And I went back a few episodes because I like if I like it, I want to continue in succession. And they spent the whole time just trashing Jack Johnson about how they're like, why is he here? Why aren't these people playing? Why are we trading this guy and not trading him? And it was just like, oh, wow. It's like listening to Columbus fans. <laughs> it, it was pretty the, great. the funny thing <laughs> is that it was so predictable two years ago when Pittsburgh signed it. We knew it was going to be a disaster. And it has been. Yeah. I love it. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the final one, um, which will segue into our next segment, is... Uh, if you could describe Elvis Merzlikens with an Elvis song, which one would it be? Um, and I put Burning Love, Trouble, A Big Hunk of Love, and Good Luck Charm. Um, and I don't know how many people actually knew what these songs were. <laughs> are they Elvis they're, songs? Or they're Elvis all songs, Elvis right? songs, yeah. And there are other okay. ones I was going to pick, but I was like, I don't know how yeah. many people are going to vote based oh, on the I song. Got I, got, I, got, I actually, so, actually got go mine. Go for well. Well, so he shut out Vegas. So, like, well, hold on, that's not. Yeah, so. v- Viva Las Vegas. Wait, what's, wait, right. Viva Las Vegas. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's it. That's it for me. I was, I was about to say. Wait, that's not a song. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, but it was perfect. Yeah, his first career shutout was in Las Vegas. Like that was, it was so yes. perfect. Uh, my, so that's why I did the poll. My off the board pick would be a little less conversation because of how Torch yes. kept him from talking to the media. That's good. When that's he good. took over his starter, so. Oh. Yes, that was originally one of the choices. And then I was just like, what if people don't know these songs? Like, I don't know how into Elvis people were. So I picked ones that were a little bit more saucy, but, I, mean, I guess you could a, say with the title. A Little Less Conversation is also the best Elvis song. And comments are closed on if- this. So. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the consensus among everyone was that he's a big mm. hunk of love. Yeah, that's that fair. was a twenty-seven point twenty-seven point five percent. So, <laughs> so that segues that. into our last topic, which is about the awards. And last week, Elaine and I were recapping who had won some of the awards to that point and projecting who might still win. And now we have the we have the winner of the Norris Trophy for best defenseman. That went to Roman Yossi of Nashville. Seth Jones finished fourteenth. Zach Wierenski was eighth in the voting. Then for the Calder, Cal McCarr won that. Elvis finished fifth in the voting in that one. For the Hart Trophy, which was the league MVP, Leon Dreisaitl of the Oilers took that home. Connor Hellebuck won the Vezina. Elvis was fifth as well in that voting. And then Elvis also made the all-rookie team. 
that was announced today. Yeah, as far as the Hart Trophy, I know that uh, Seeds was all in on McKinnon. I mean, I can't argue with any of them, Panarin, McKinnon, or Dreisaitl. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I was surprised that he got both the Lindsay and the Hart. So you know, Lindsay's voted by the players, and the Hart's voted by the media for most valuable player. Uh, you know, it's what it, for me, what it comes down to is of the three finalists, right? McKinnon, Panarin, and Dreisaitl. If you were building a team and got to pick one of those guys, would you pick Dreisaitl? I hate you. I, I, I hate I you for asking you that question because I don't want to answer it and make seems it, be right. You know, it, and I think it'd be worthwhile if the league had a you know most outstanding player and then a most valuable player. Yeah, and you you know you can, but it, we we have awards to give to players who rack up the points. You know, this is talking about most valuable player, and so I would have given it to. McKinnon for just how insanely good he has gotten and has, you know, carried Colorado as, as a lot of the other great players on the team were hurt in the early part of the season. He carried them through that. So, and then, and then Panarin, I think is a, is a better all around player than Dreisaitl is. Um, so, so I mean, Dreisaitl had a very nice season, but yeah, that's, it's not what I would have picked. But these awards, they do not favor defense. Okay? Neither does Norris. <laughs> no, but that being said, the, <laughs> right, the Norris. Neither does the Norris. Yeah. But it did this year. Because often they'll go to like the defenseman who puts up the most points, which would have been like John Carlson this year. But instead it went to Roman Yossi, who I think that was a very worthy pick for a guy who is actually good at the defensive part of the game. So the voters did get – I thought everything else I thought the voters got right. Uh, and I was really glad to see uh, Elvis place fifth yes. in both the Vesna and Calder. So, and I, I really wanted him to be a finalist for the Calder. I know I knew that the winner was going to be either McCarr or Quinn Hughes from Vancouver. Both those guys are tremendous young defensemen. So I knew it was going to be one of them. So, but I thought that uh, you know Elvis was more impactful uh, for his team than. Uh, Kubelik was for Chicago. And then fourth was Adam Fox in New York. And again, I I thought Elvis had a more impressive season than either of those two guys. But he, he got some votes, and so I appreciate that uh, that recognition for him. Yeah. Well, well Kubelik, he like – if like I said on the pod last week, if he – if they were voting during the bubble, he totally would have won it or been even closer. He helped along the – the Blackhawks a lot during the season when everyone decided to like not show up. He was still showing up, but it, it didn't matter. If, like I said last week too, if he didn't show, if he didn't show up, they were still going to suck. <laughs> so yeah, Elvis, I was just so glad to see that Elvis made it in the top five of, of two awards and then made the all rookie team. Like he deserves that. I mean, I feel like he deserved a little bit more when it came to the Calder because you only have one shot to be a Calder winner. It's just, it's nice to see CBJ be recognized by, because a lot of different people are voting on these. Each category isn't just the media. Some is the GMs, some is um, broadcasters, some is media, some is players, some is just the writers. Like it, it's nice to see that CBJ was a little bit heavier on the ballots this year. Yeah. And I, I had, uh, predicted that or was hoping that Wierenski would get some Norris votes. So I was glad to see that he was up there in the top 10 for that. Uh, I think that's very worthy because he had the best season of his career was impactful on both ends of the ice. Um, a little surprised that 
that even Jones got it. Uh, but I think maybe because of his, uh, his injury and the effect that had on the team, that I think showed yeah. how, how valuable he was to what the Jacks were doing defensively. I mentioned so. that in the player right. review too. Yeah. I was just saying that actually kind of brings up a, a little something about what we were saying about Ryan Murray. When he went down though, we didn't have, we, when Jones went down though, we didn't have a ton of defense to really like replace him per se, or like slot in. And so maybe that is where it's important that we have defensemen who are notoriously healthy, even if they're really good when they're when they're healthy. So the plan would be to bubble wrap Ryan Murray until Seth Jones goes down. <laughs> then you can put yes! Ryan Murray in there. He shouldn't be playing. We can he keep him in his set- own bubble. He's we know se- bubbles work. <laughs> so Ryan Murray is the second. There we go. He's the first string that should only play second string just until you really yeah. need him. <laughs> and it, it's so. So I would say that Ryan Murray is the break glass in case of emergency. Yes! Except that when you smash the glass, <laughs> that it would hit him yeah. and then he'd get hurt as well. So that's maybe a bad idea. <laughs> So real fast before we go for the week, I have to get your guys' predictions. Who wins game two tonight between Dallas and Tampa? I'm all stars. Let's go. I want to see stars do this. I think PD is taking Tampa, but I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. I just have no clue. I a part of me is like Tampa would be fun, but also having Todd Richards win a Stanley Cup when he could have won one here, although he couldn't have won one here at that time, but I, I, I digress. Right? Last year. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think it'd be uh, fun to see <gasps> Dallas win. Like regardless, yes. it's a Southern Randomness. hockey finals. And I am sure that there are people in Canada who are just having a meltdown about it. Well, at, at, le- at least it's going to be, uh, you know, handed off in Canada. So True. Uh, yeah, and yeah. So for Jack's connections, we've got Todd Richards and Curtis McElhenney with the Lightning, uh, and then Blake Como is on the Stars. So either way, there's going to be a former Jacket winning it, which is cool. Uh, yeah, I I think the the Lightning are the better team. Um, the better team on on paper, they are I think deeper. They're more well balanced. Uh, I think there's talk that might get Steven Stamkos back, which will help because like Braden points a little bit banged up. So I think they've. Uh, you know, they've, they've maybe had to go through more than Dallas has had to. Dallas, uh, what, coming into the cup final, they had had a negative goal differential for the postseason, uh, which is yes. really... They looked at They looked at those stats and they were like, we're so good. You tell us we're bad, but guess what? <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I don't want to take anything away from it because they've done what it takes to win. Anton Kudobin is playing out of his mind, which... You need a hot goalie to get to this point. Um, and they, so they've true. been getting goals from all throughout the lineup. You know, it's in game one. It was not, you know, like Sagan and Ben scoring goals. It was, uh, you know, Yoel Kibaranta got, got on the board and um, uh, like Jamie Alexiak, you know, these guys that you're not expecting to carry the team. So it's they just keep defying the yeah. odds. Every so time. They're, they're a, yeah. And they've been a very fun team to watch in the postseason. So I don't want to begrudge them that it's it's an entertaining matchup. Uh, I would love if it went seven games because yes. I think it's seven games, seven overtime. Oh yes. yeah, just go. Yeah, that be <laughs> that would be fantastic. But I do think uh, game one, I knew that Dallas was going to win because you know they hadn't played since Monday. They were rested up, and Tampa had played twice since Dallas's last game. Both games went to overtime, so they looked like a team that was coming off a couple overtime games. So I think they will have time to recover now. Um, I think they will figure out how to beat Dallas because 
they beat Columbus and Boston and the Islanders. And these are all similar teams that just suffocate you, keep you from getting high danger shots. That's what Dallas does. But Tampa figured out how to beat the other teams pretty easily. So I think they'll figure out a way ultimately to beat the Stars, but it's going to take six or seven games. I like Dallas. To, I mean, I think Tampa Bay probably should win the series on paper, obviously, but I don't know. I'm all in on Dallas, and I want to see Dallas take game two tonight. All right, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Elaine, did you say, or you said you weren't? You didn't. You didn't know who to pick. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I'm. I'd rather have the Stars, but honestly, it's going to be good hockey. So. It's just it just it just befuddles my mind because you know I keep thinking Dallas isn't going to win. They're, they're not going to beat Calgary. They're not going to beat Colorado, and then they just keep winning. They keep the, it's like I keep forgetting Dallas is. I mean, not forgetting, but it's like when they were in that Vegas series, uh, and they went up three one in that series. I was thinking that they had just, they had just tied the series at two, and I was like, wait a minute, they were up two to one. Now they're up three to one. This team just keeps boggling my mind but anyway we'll see what happens credit to both teams who have gotten to this point so uh that will do it for us this week we will return next week and as always you can follow us at cbj cannon on twitter jacketscannon.com and we will talk to you next week be sure to subscribe to the cannon cast on itunes spotify google podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can catch every episode leave us a review and a rating and as always we welcome your thoughts and feedback Go to jacketscannon.com for more Blue Jackets coverage from us and follow us on Twitter at CBJCannon. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearly and the Howlin' Moons. Check out AngelaPearly.com for more music and show dates. Oh, you're cool.